Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So where are we going to go? What are we going to do? If we get out of harmony with nature, if if perhaps our egos take over and we make a, a more mechanistic... Uh, non-natural, concrete and still type of environment for us. There's a breaking point where we can't really sustain ourselves. Tonight's show is going to talk about that. The topic tonight is nature, purpose, and the human soul. Man, I love that. And our guest tonight is Tim Corcoran. We're going to bring Tim on in just a minute, but our bodies have immense intelligence to them. We've had countless people on the show that talk about the the wisdom of the body, the the innate wisdom that our body has, and I'm not talking about the brain, I'm talking about our bodies, and nature does a fantastic job of of showing co-creation when you spend time in nature and and the more diverse the better you see living organisms working in harmony with each other harmony with each other and and now just flip the coin over <laughs> Every week when I talk about the year 2020, I have to roll my eyes because of what has happened in the previous week. But a lot of humanity is is really kind of disconnecting from from their bodies, from nature. There's so much anxiety. There's fret and worry. And when we when we experience this kind of uh, feeling we're, we're literally detaching our attention, our awareness, our consciousness from that innate wisdom within us, from the um, deep at our core is an ocean of peace, a vast ocean of peace. And we can enjoy peace regardless of what's happening outside of us. And I know some people might roll their eyes and said, yeah, right. But, I mean, it's it's inherent in our design because we're an expression of nature. We are that one and the same nature expressing itself as human beings. What I like about tonight's episode is, is we're going to we're going to look at nature, purpose, and the human soul. So I think we should get to it. Again, the topic tonight is nature, purpose, and the human soul. And our guest tonight is Tim Corcoran. Tim is the founder of Purpose Mountain, where he serves as a nature-based purpose guide, supporting people with a love for wild nature to discover their soul purpose. As well, Tim is a wilderness guide and leader of men's groups, rites of passage, and vision quest. 
He's happily married with two sons, and he lives in Sandpoint, Idaho. You can learn more about him at PurposeMountain.com. Please join me in welcoming Tim to the show. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks so much, Les. You know, I just just the title of the show, Nature, mm-hmm. Purpose, and the Human Soul. I mean, I mean pur- purpose kind of sticks out for me in that um how, how does our how does our purpose in this human persona if you will how does that fold into nature absolutely well that's a big question and uh that's what i've really dedicated my life's work to um maybe i can start with a little story you know my as you mentioned my background is as a wilderness guide so I actually run two different organizations. I run Purpose Mountain, as you mentioned, where I help folks discover their soul-level purpose using a nature-based approach. Um, I also um, uh, founded and and continue to direct a wilderness school up where I live here in uh, Sandpoint, Idaho. And I do that along with my wife. And, and I've been running the wilderness school longer, right? I've been running the wilderness school the last 15 years. Uh, Purpose Mountain is a bit newer. I've been doing that the last five years. And the reason I say this less is because what I've found uh, through the years is that early on, um, as I began to help people connect with nature for nature's sake, right, and, and, and the way we do that is with the old earth-based skills. We do wilderness survival skills, and we do uh, wild edible medicinal plants, animal tracking, um, all kinds of good stuff, right? And what what I found was that people would come to me early on just to connect with nature on that level. And over time, those that stuck with it, as they developed a deep connection to and awareness of the natural world, their awareness of self and their place in the greater world became clear. And indeed, they became clear and clear and more and more empowered um, with their life purpose. And this only got stronger and stronger until I got to a point where I was evolving and realized that I needed to claim that first and foremost, that I'm here to help people connect with their vision, with purpose. Um, but interestingly enough, early on, it was, it was, it was kind of a bonus side effect um, that has now led to the current work that I do. So, yeah, this intersection between nature and purpose, and I think you said it right, we are nature. Um, I look at purpose as why we're here, and that the way we connect with purpose is by connecting with our soul. And mostly I see that as an ecological function. I'm certainly aware that most folks would look at you know, connecting with soul as a spiritual process. I really see it as an ecological process, meaning what is our place in the greater web of life? And when we can discover that, right, really uh, not just discover but actually embody that, um, that's when we really connect with our greatest potential, our deepest gifts, and, you know, what we're really here to serve as our gifts to the world, to humanity. To connect with that, to, you know, as you're talking the um the notion that the soul by its very nature i suggest cannot embody fear cannot embody doubt Correct. cannot in, 
embody anxiety. And as you, I, I loved how you told the story as people spent more time in nature, they got in tune with a deeper wisdom yes. within themselves, a, a higher vision, if you will, for what mm-hmm. their life is. And it it seems like via, um, nature in and of itself is a vehicle for discovery. It, it almost seems like nature is a mirror to us, and the more we look yes. at nature, the more we see ourselves almost. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And, and interestingly enough, that concept, nature as mirror, is, is a primary concept that I work with now, right? The uh, the reality is that, again, we are nature. And as you were you were mentioning earlier, uh, nature is, is by definition a harmonious environment. And so when we find ourselves as humans out of in, out of harmony then, of course, there's an opportunity to, to restore that. And one of the best ways we can do that is by immersing ourselves in wild nature. Um, now, there's an energetic connection that happens. As we immerse ourselves in the harmony of nature, that harmony transfers. Um, but the way that that transfers through our psyches, through our bodies, through our hearts, through our spirits, through our souls, is really fascinating. And what we begin to touch in on is the tremendous, uh, the tremendous oneness that is life, right? And that certainly nature embodies. Um, now, there's all kinds of different examples of this. Um, I was actually just doing a, a workshop recently down in Arizona, and uh, down there, there are these agave plants, right? The agave, they're similar to yucca. And the ones down there that in our, the bioregion I was in, kind of the Verde Valley, central Arizona, um, they lived about 35 or 40 years. And interestingly enough, they don't um, fruit or flower until the very end of their lives, right? So the leaves grow, and, uh, and, and the plant is just the leaves and the roots for, the, you know, 95, maybe 97% of its life. And in the final year or so, uh, maybe six months, it, it's, it's that last springtime, actually, um, a stalk that grows, and the stalk grows tremendously fast. It grows something like four to six inches a night and will continue growing until it reaches 10, 15, maybe 18 feet high. At the top of the stalk, the flowers emerge, and then as spring progresses, the flowers transform into fruits, and the fruits have their seeds. Now, at this workshop I was delivering, this became a deeply powerful metaphor for a lot of the participants because a lot of the participants we're feeling like, gosh, you know, I haven't found my purpose yet, the full expression of it. I haven't found my, I haven't shared my full gifts with the world yet. And, and these are folks that are really yearning for that, really yearning to be of service, but not quite there yet. And when we looked at the agave and spent time with it, um, and we realized, you know, all of those years it spends, 30, 35, 40 years just absorbing energy, you know, growing that root, and only until the very end, not until the very end, does it, you know, burst forth its stalk and its flowers and its fruit. Does it share its gifts, right? I mean, what if, if not the flowers and the fruit and the seeds uh, are its gifts, I don't know what is. And that became tremendously moving for the participants as they realized it's okay, you know. And, and, and this was one example, right? It's okay that I'm still receiving, that I'm still preparing for that moment. And not to suggest that we have to wait to the end of our lives to share our gifts, 
but there is a natural process of ripening, of developing, that in, can't be rushed. And it was so empowering for the participants. It brought, brought us all to tears, frankly, as we realized here's the beauty, one, ex, one small example, right, of the beauty of nature mirroring an inner process for us as humans. And that was just, it, it was transformational for, for everyone. Yeah. Well, it's, it's such a powerful metaphor. I, it seems like we've lost our connection with um, the wisdom of the elders, if you will. Yes. And yeah. um, like for me, um, I, I really, I've pondered uh, the span of my life to understand where the um, I don't know value points the mm-hmm. the the arenas of insight, but you know, like as a child, I remember I was like seven or eight years old. I get up in the morning, sure. I'd walk out the front door, and I wouldn't tell anybody where I'm going. That's right. I go to my yeah. friend's house, get in his brother's car, go 200 miles to visit somebody, and come back, and walk in the the unlocked screen door at nine o'clock at night and mom yep. and dad are like, Hey, how you been? You know? <laughs> and and the right. point I'm getting at is a lot of times as elders we've seen, we've actually lived what a lot of people are yearning for now. A sense of safety, a sense of yes. comfort. You know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I've spent a lot of my, uh, a good portion of my adult years, I'm 46, um, I've spent a good portion of my adult years connecting, I've been really blessed to connect with um, indigenous Native American um, elders and, and communities. And and listen, I mean, it's an important disclaimer, I am not a Native American and I don't speak for them, but I have dedicated my a good portion of my life to learning as much as I can from them and respectfully, appropriately sharing that wisdom in culturally respectful ways with the modern world. And one of the pieces, of course, that our indigenous brothers and sisters embody as as communities is um, reverence and honor for the elders in their communities, right? Unlike us, I mean, what's what's the norm, right? For us, we throw our elders away into a nursing home and kind of forget about them. And yet there's such tremendous wisdom, that is life wisdom, that's just waiting there for us, and certainly for young people. And so many young people today are are struggling. And so that's, I think, one of, been one of the big questions. How do we reweave um, an intact community where all the various roles of life are honored? And I think one of the big things, Les, is that we have got to have a shared story because this is what the indigenous communities have, is they have a shared story. And what that shared story is, is their connection with nature, right? Like, for example, um, my sons, I have two boys, they're 11 and 14, um, based on how my wife and I have raised them, are, are passionate birders. They love birds. They love studying birds. They love sitting and watching birds. They, they've got all their songs figured out and their plumage and the names and habitats, and they're always going after these birds. Well, that's something my wife and I can share with them as, you know, the next generation. And also my dad happens to be a birder. So here's this common point that uh, a thread, if you will, or a rope of connection, so to speak, that 
bonds us, that, that is a common point of connection. And, you know, when we look at, of course, the modern experience, so many kids um, are so disconnected from nature, and as technology grows and becomes more and more prevalent, their worlds are so drastically different than even their parents' world, nonetheless their grandparents' world, that there is no, is no shared story. And so I really feel like uh, nature is one of the, in, in that way, I mean, that's, again, just one small example of how nature has the capacity to reweave uh, a culture, a sustainable community, a sustainable culture, if you will. Indeed. The, when I look at the dynamics of, like, kids getting out of college now, mm-hmm. um, especially in 2020, there's, yeah. There's that narrative that says, okay, well, go to college, get educated, you'll come out of college, a company will hire you, you'll click off 20, 30, 40 years, um, you'll retire. And it, and it's kind of a white picket fence fairy tale. But oh, yeah. the dynamic of getting out of college and having a, a just a ton of student debt and then the economy tanking it the point i'm getting at is nature doesn't abandon itself as far as a, a pliable narrative and in our in our ego minds with this yes. thing called an economy with it, with our ego minds this thing called an academic structure and i'm not i'm not pointing any fingers, but if we look at the wake of our choices, we've disconnected from a narrative that they can really uh, stick a flag in and declare it their own. Exactly. Exactly. And as well, I think, I'm sure you'd you'd likely agree with me that um, that's all based on a worldview that is obsessed with the material world and the ego. I mean that is our modern that is our modern culture, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, we have physical reality. Yes, we have science. Yes, we have the ego, and all of these things play us an important role. Um, I don't I don't look down on this in any way, shape, or form. But it is not the whole picture, right? And I I really look at this as that there are three primary awakenings that we have to to make if we're going to get ourselves out of the mess that we're in. Right. One is um, what I would call, refer to as holing, W-H-O-L-I-N-G, meaning, um, and, and this, is, this is the realm of the ego, frankly. This is kind of the deepest realm of the ego as I see it, which is, you know, how do I heal and become happier? How do I face the, the trauma or the, what I'm not at peace with in my own life? Um, how do I come to acceptance with that? And... Um, doing shadow work, how do I bring my shadow to light, bring the unconscious to the conscious, cultivate self-esteem, all of that, right? And certainly modern psychotherapy has made significant progress on that. Um, Men's work, women's work, um, you know, there's a variety of of important work being done, uh, emotional maturity work, um, very significant. But that's just one one realm, right? That's the the realm of the ego as I see it. Uh, Now there's another realm, uh, of awakening, which is how do, uh, how do we awaken to our place as human beings 
of this earth, right? Because the truth is that we are of this earth, and it matters. Um, you know, it's it's a big kind of cosmic experiment that we're in the midst of these last, what, few hundred or maybe thousand years, if we want to look at the advent of agriculture, this experiment of human beings living disconnected from wild nature. And right. certainly if we look at the, all the problems that, the last hundred, that we've seen in the last hundred years, so many of those are rooted in the fact of our disconnection to nature. And so I believe that as a developmental, it's a basic developmental need that we have as humans, as important as having clean water, you know, a healthy family, uh, good food to eat, shelter over our heads, that we need to experience ourselves as children of the earth, as, as human beings of this planet. Who, because if we don't have a relationship with the earth, if we don't, then how are we supposed to love it? And if we don't love it, how are we ever going to protect it? Right, so those those being the the two first, and then the third awakening less really is this as we've been talking about this awakening to our soul that there you know this is the question, why am I here? Um, how do I discover my deepest essence, and how do I find that place where my deepest uh, this is a quote from Frederick Buechner, who is a theologist his 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 quote is uh Purpose is the place where my one's deepest gladness meets the world's hunger, right? And I, in my experience, it's the way we discover that is in combination, in concert of those three awakenings, awakening to our wholeness, awakening to um, the earth itself and our connection with the earth, and, and awakening to our soul. Well, very well said. Well, the, the notion of... Uh, of being disconnected, as you had talked yeah. about, the when we, for me, it seems like when we live in our minds, our minds, our egos, by their very nature, want to quantify everything and, oh, yeah. and assign value, and invariably it has us looking laterally to others to as some kind of a measuring stick, yes. and yet. Our heart and our soul, they have, I mean, on Facebook, I I post um, the most crazy off-the-top pictures of nature express, expressing itself. I oh, love, love, it. love, love to find, like, sea urchins that have a body that doesn't look anything normal at all, and it's extremely right. colorful. And I'll post that, and I'll go, look at that, nature... Yeah. Nature has this um, unquenchable desire for yet another story, for yet a, another That's paradigm. Right. And, yeah. and with our minds trying to measure if we're doing things, quote, correctly or not, that, I mean, that's insanity. Rip the curtains off oh, the yeah. living yeah. room window and drape them around your naked body and go running down the street. Get out of your <laughs> mind. <laughs> you exactly. Know, I, well, and it's insanity for. Yes, absolutely. And Les, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think it's insanity for the individual, and it's insanity for our families. Um, you know, it's insanity for our communities. It's insanity for our natural systems, and I think it's insanity for the world. I mean, the reality is, and and I think, um, thankfully, I, I have I've not done too much of this, but but so many people have, right? It's entirely 
plausible, and I think there's so many people experiencing this, that, that we can, one can live a life that is not our own. And uh, when we, you know, when we just live in the realm of the mind or the ego or physical reality, it's, it's limited, and we will find ourselves trapped one way or another. So the journey, I think, is about dropping these, uh, these preconceived notions of who we're supposed to be, right, and, and yielding and surrendering to something greater, right? Because the truth is that we all have an inner teacher much wiser than anything we could ever receive from the outside, right, that we might be comparing ourselves to in our egoic patterns. But we need mentors right. and guides along the way who have walked that journey to help us um, because the power of culture is so strong, right? I mean, we're, we see this in the modern experience. And if there's no other stories for us to step into, how are we going to get out of that? You know, um, but cultivating really at the end of the day, I think cultivating our connection to soul means cultivating our connection again to nature and to our place in the world, um, as I look back and, and, and we see in history, I think it was when we lost our indigenous connection to place, that's when we really lost our, our, our connection to nature and soul. And so the journey then of reclaiming our, uh, our soul, reclaiming our purpose, is going to involve reclaiming both that connection to nature and soul. Uh, and I really believe that it's that, and I know I experience this myself, and all of my students and clients consistently experience this less, that it's discovering that felt sense in the body and the heart and the mind and the spirit of belonging to a place, right? Uh, belonging to nature, belonging to soul. This is the real antidote to desire. Um, I was just having that conversation with a friend yesterday, and there's another quote I'm fond of that we can never get enough of what we truly don't need. You know, and so then enter all the distractions of life and technology and all the addictions, both capital A and lowercase a, that, you know, we, we fill this kind of endless void that is yearning for something. Well, what is that yearning? You know, that's the, our yearning for our place, for our belonging, to feel a really a sense of community, to feel that we're making, that we have gifts and that we are sharing those with the world. Right, but again, it's like we have to. One has to let go and find that courage to let go of the life one has had, in order, right, the one you thought was yours, in order to make space for the life that you're actually meant to live. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, just like we can could be displaced from our home and feel alienated, we can be displaced from nature and we can be displaced from soul. And, we'll, and we feel that alienation. That, that's what cultivate, That's what creates that void. And so, importantly, and this is what I want the listeners to hear, is that if that's present for you, you know, um, that displacement, that yearning, that kind of desire for something greater, that is the archetypal call, right? That's the call to soul. Um, this sense that there's something more to life. Um, not, you know, yearning for safety or security or comfort or money or power, but this yearning for our place in the world, what we're here to give, um, that's the calling to soul. And I, I think from my perspective, we all experience that on some level or another, but, uh, but it's the few who heed the call. And my great hope is that through my work and, and your work here, 
that more and more people will listen to that call and really heed it. It can really be a tug of war if yeah. if, if you're looking for safety in your life and you turn on the the television and you see rioting and and you know all these these images of chaos and and whatnot and and you want to have a sense of you want to feel safe a sense of safety but yeah. on the flip side of that since we're you've got great quotes I like one by Peter Gabriel it's only in uncertainty that we're naked and alive and yes. there, there's something that happens when we push ourselves. So you go out in nature, yes. and there's a a stream with a log over it, and you think, I don't know if I can walk across that log without falling in. And it's yeah. really trivial if you fall in, but sure. you don't. You might not want to get wet, but when yes. you kind of push or nudge yourself and you get out on that log and you start teetering and you're not sure if you're going to make it or not, you become alive. I mean, your senses ramp yes. up and, yep. you know, it's it's really a harmless thing, but that's kind yes. of what, that's, that's, that's the, the the food of the soul, the hunger of the yes. heart to, to push ourselves so we can grow and, and understand a, a a bigger, deeper dynamic of this human persona we're all carrying around. Absolutely, Les, absolutely. And, and I mean, that's really what you're speaking to is uh, what that makes me think of is um, the universal presence of rites of passage and initiations, which, of course, is a huge part of what I, the, the work that I do. And I'm sure you must be familiar with Joseph Campbell, um, and his work on the hero's hero's journey, um, but nature does. Nature asks us to, you know, become fully alive in big and small ways, and that aliveness that we feel and that we yearn for only comes by taking a risk. Now, as you're saying, there's small risks, but there's big risks as well. And the right. reality is, as, for as much control as we yearn for, as the ego yearns for, the reality of life is that we're not in control. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, who, who here can say that they're fully in control of life? I mean, give me a break. Just turn on the news, right, and <laughs> forget about it. And so then we must got to ask the question, if the reality is that we're not in control, then what is it we're doing to prepare ourselves for the challenges in life that are bound to come. And if we're living a life of kind of artificial safety and security and comfort and control uh, or, or a perception of control, then what happens when those big challenges come? Because they do come for all of us. That's the nature of this life. Not as something to weigh us down or to, uh, you know, to, to, to infuse us with bad energy, but as opportunities to grow. And so I'm, you know, and this is why I'm so committed to working with both adults and youth, is that I believe we need to give our kids and adults more opportunities, especially immersing in nature, to face challenges, right? Um, and this is the essence of, of rites of passage work and initiations, like I was saying. It's, it's through facing a challenge on a whole new level that we're, you know, that we can come up against and dig inside of us and 
dig in and find those internal resources that have been previously untapped to meet the challenge at hand and really prove to ourselves that we are more capable than we have previously believed. And in that sense, that self-esteem grows, the self-confidence grows, the knowledge that, yes, I can face a deep challenge um, is not just empty knowledge, but lived knowledge, wisdom, is really infused in the human heart. And from there, uh, individuals can set forth on their path of purpose, right? Um, so, yeah, so important to, to get honest with ourselves about the reality of challenges and, and that growth process and that feeling of aliveness that we all love and we all yearn for. Well, I like that you brought up uh, rites of passage. Yeah. I think we kind of um, take this slow motion walk into the mundane, into the um, – our. it's like our brain's – um, uh, pick a tolerance of preference, and I do mean tolerance. And no. so, in with your experience working with rites of passage, it it seems like um, when people have kind of surrendered or disconnected from the passionate life, from the passionate self, yes. and they've kind of made themselves quote adults unquote and they're and they're as far as passion's concerned a wet mob. With um <laughs> when you when you see the rite of passage um yeah. transform people, talk a little bit about how the, how their lives change. Oh yeah, well absolutely. So um so I facilitate rites of passage for boys and men, of course separately. Um and maybe I can back up a little bit and say, you know, I think it's important to differentiate uh, rite of passage versus an initiation. So I would offer that we go through many initiations in life, or we can, um, but just a handful of rites of passage. And that my def- so a rite of passage is a, is a subset of initiations. And specifically, a rite of passage is the transition, a ceremony marking the transition from one life stage to the next. Right, so we well, we have a handful of rites of passage in our life: birth, um, you know, uh, adolescence, uh, adulthood, maybe becoming a parent, becoming an elder, and then death. These are the major life phases we go through. And of course, in the, in the modern experience, we've lost the old ceremonies, the rituals, the rites of passage, and that's why so much of my life work is dedicated to this. And as a male myself, um, I feel empowered. Um, from my own elders and those who've taken me through rites of passage to to guide other males, boys and, and men, through rites of passage. And like I was saying, the, the essence of it is to give a formidable challenge to the individual, um, the likes of which they've never experienced before, so that they can find those internal resources, draw upon them, meet the challenge at hand that's been carefully curated by a mentor, by a guide, um, and realize that greater potential that they have. And, you know, so when I'm, let's take the, the younger one, so when, when I take boys through the adolescent rite of passage and, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, and they go through that experience in the wilderness, 
um, they come out the other side incredibly empowered from facing that challenge, incredibly full of self-esteem and self-confidence, something I didn't get when I was that age, mind you. Um, I didn't get into this work until my early 20s. And beyond that, there's, you know, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of emotional maturity, especially for males. So we have a whole component of the rite of passage that's about the inner journey of recognizing one's emotions that, yes, as males, we have emotions. Of course we do. And they're okay. And we can be aware of them. We can accept them. We can express them in healthy ways. And my God, I mean, uh, just that one issue alone, males um, not accepting and expressing their emotions in healthy ways, just that one issue alone, my God, look at the amount of destruction that has happened on this planet based on that. And so when the when the boys come through this and they become initiates and they complete the rite of passage and we formally mark them, not mark them, but name them as, as, as young men. Um, and the community recognizes that it's deeply empowering less. And they naturally step into greater responsibility in the family, uh, in the community. In our community, they oftentimes, uh, will come to me at that point and say, gosh, you know, I've received so much through the mentoring and the connection to nature. I naturally want to give back, not because I'm supposed to or because it's a chore, because my parent or teacher said I should, but because I want to help someone else because I was helped. And they really experience in their in their whole being um, the goodness that comes from from that kind of mentoring. And so, of course, they want to share it. You know, why wouldn't uh, anyone would want to share something that's been that good? And it's so heartening, you know. And then they become some of, you know, our staff at our wilderness school, and they help out with other things. And and parents will come to me and they'll say, my God, where do you find these teenagers? They're so charismatic. They're respectful. They're, you know, in their power. And all the other teens I see are, you know, it's the stereotype of modern teenagers. You know, they're self-absorbed, blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe that cultural stereotype we have in the modern experience is a result of the lack of rituals and the lack of mentoring, the lack of rites of passage. And I firmly believe that it is. And so, yeah, and that's just, you know, the adolescent rite of passage. Um, so that's a, that's a short answer to your question, yeah. Well, I like it. We're... We're less than two weeks away from the 2020 presidential elections. Now, I'm not yes. going political on you, but <laughs> to, to talk about the the role of politics without actually talking yes. about politics, these are, these are, quote, our leaders, unquote. And when you talk about the passion that awakens, and the the demeanor of these teenagers as they yeah. as they get a whole perspective of themselves, and yes. then we look, and then we look at the mechanism of our culture, and the role yes. of the leader, and then we tack the term politics on it. How how would you see um, politics evolving to to embrace more fully that that awakened or whole self as a sure. role model as a leader in our in our uh, political dynamics. Well, that's a, a beautiful question, Les. And 
Um, and it's it's a big question, <laughs> as I'm sure you recognize. Well, it, it doesn't yeah. have to be huge. We we don't have to paint it bigger than it sure. is. But keep sure. Going. Yeah, well, I mean, and so let me talk a little bit about the adult rite of passage. So the other one I lead is men's rites of passage. And this is where, um, you know, I, ideally, right, everybody would go through all these conscious rites of passage that are community-based and wilderness-based from the beginning, but not everyone gets that. So we can complete what has been incomplete, right? So I, I might have a 35-year-old or a 45-year-old or whatnot come to me who hasn't had any of these experiences and yet it's entirely possible to to complete those processes. The ideal time for an, a, 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 an adult male rite of passage, you know, might be what, somewhere between 18 and 22, right, these days, where we're really marking behind, okay, I'm leaving behind being a young man. I'm no longer an adolescent. Now I'm stepping into true manhood. And when that happens... Um, the level of challenge needs to be greater because, of course, the skill level and the capacity level of the individual is greater to face that challenge. And so some of those basic ideas of uh, of the rite of passage are still present. But on a deeper level, an, another really core important piece is that these individuals, as part of the rite of passage and part of life, need to reclaim their shadow, right? And 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 what I mean by that is I'm talking about the unconscious aspects of self, that um, we have deemed, uh, you know, inappropriate or um, not acceptable uh, in the psyche. And I, I think when we look at modern politics, in large part, we have many individuals, many men, who have not been initiated, right? And so it, the vision I would hold is that the men who are in that leadership certainly have gone through rites of passage and have faced their their darkness, they face their light, um, they face the pain of that, they've addressed their wounds, they've come to some level of healing on that, and they've touched their soul, right? They've they've made a connection with nature and they stand for the natural world. And they recognize that um you know the actions we take today are of course deeply influencing the natural world and this generation and future generations and are really acting in accordance with um, the natural laws, right? Um, I, I can't help but to think of the, the Haudenosaunee people, the, commonly known as the Iroquois. I, one of my elders, uh, Chief Jake Swamp, was of the, he was a sub-chief of the Mohawk clan of the uh, Haudenosaunee people. And interestingly, Les, the, um, he talked a lot about the roots of democracy and how the founding fathers of this country were, were actually mentored by the Haudenosaunee elders um, in forming what is now the United States governmental structure. Um, they changed it some. But if you go back and you look at still how the Haudenosaunee function, interestingly, uh, uh, this is another conversation I was just having, it is the clan mothers, right, the, the, the adult and elder women, of the of the tribe that select the male leaders, um, the chiefs. And so the women aren't the chiefs, but they select the chiefs. And one of the things they always look for is humility. And so uh, they'll look for those men who uh, would actually say, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure um, that this is really me. Uh, this, you know, uh, uh, they're looking for that humility. 
And Jake was one of those individuals. And uh, that oftentimes it's it's having that level of humility that is so crucial um, to real success for the community, for the leadership of the community. And if we look at that word, humility, I'm a bit of a word nerd. I love etymology. Humility, uh, same root structure as humus, uh, which means the ground, the earth. So to be humble is to be of the earth. Um, those are a few thoughts on, on that on that big question. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's, <clears throat> we have to ask the big questions if we're going to solve the big problems. That's right. The, Absolutely. The, the 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 populace has to change as well. You can't you can't fix the nation by putting uh, a magnificent warrior in office because the effect of putting a magnificent persona in office will be that the, the constituents, the, the citizens, change. Yes. Because how are we gonna how are we gonna solve the rank and file, if you will, the the boots on the ground problems of humanity if we don't bring the citizens themselves along in the transformation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's what you're doing with your I, – I love the work that you're doing. Now, we've talked a lot about men. Is there a women's components to the services you offer? Absolutely, yeah, Les. I, I, I do work with, with men and women. Um, rites of passage work are just a subset of what I do. So when it comes to those formal rites of passage, I do just stick to males. But my wife, uh, Janine, actually works with females on, on both those – uh, the girls and the, and the women's rites of passage. Um, but a large portion of what I do is outside the realm of rites of passage. And so absolutely, um, my work at Purpose Mountain, helping people discover their purpose, I love working with women. Um, and frankly, oftentimes they're a little bit easier to work with <laughs> because they don't have quite so much attachment to the ego. Uh, not always the case, and that's definitely a generalization. But I, you know, I have found that to be the case. Um, they do tend to be uh, more easily connected to their intuition and to their soul. Um, again, not always the case. And there's lots of exceptions. But if I had to, you know, name a pattern that's present, I, I do think that's the case. Uh, so I absolutely love working with women. Yeah. Well, it's uh, to me. I mean, I'm I'm I just passed 60 years old, and I look at the the masculine dynamic, and in in a large sense, certainly not everyone, but men have disconnected from their bodies. They've disconnected yes. from their emotions. They've disconnected yep. from their passion, and it's like they're treading water or something. They go to the gym. They they do. It seems like they choose things that society will give them points for so to speak, right. and there's no brazen uh, breaking out of the stereotype or breaking out of the mold, it seems. Right, and, and that is changing. I mean, we are starting to see more and more men, thankfully, open up to their hearts, you know, transcend the ego, ask the deeper questions, why am I really here, you know, connect with their soul. And, uh, I mean, I think a big part, there, there's another quote I like. This is from uh, Michael Beckworth, you might be familiar with, um, the quote is, the pain pushes you until the vision pulls you. 
And what he means by that is that, you know, when we choose to kind of awaken into our greater consciousness, oftentimes, this doesn't hold true perfectly all the time, but there's, this is a tendency, right? Oftentimes, one of the first things we have to contend with is the pain in our lives, what's not working, uh, unprocessed trauma, all the things we're not at peace with. And it's this pain, it's really showing an individual, showing one where there's a greater possibility of expression. And so as we, and so it's that pain that's kind of pushing us on the path. I think of the path as a mountain. That's why I chose Purpose Mountain as the name of my or, uh, new organization. Um, and it's like that first half of the journey, it does feel like climbing up. We're, we're fighting against gravity. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're addressing kind of our personal story. We're, we're coming to peace with ourselves. We're addressing that trauma. Um, and that's beautiful work to do. You know, I, I'm always so honored, and it's always um, just some of the greatest, most meaningful work I do to help others, um, you know, address those wounds. But there does come a point when we have addressed the bulk of that, that um, our purpose, our soul, our vision uh, makes itself known to us. Uh, and, and there's certain processes and technologies, so to speak, that... Um, structures that help that process unfold um, that I also equally love, 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 love helping people awaken to um, the vision quest or rites of passage or whatnot. And there's that magic moment when, when, we, when we get to crest the top of that mountain. And at that point, we've addressed enough of the pain in our lives that we can now no longer be pain-driven or wound-driven, but now we can be purpose-driven or vision-driven. And at that point, it is the downward trajectory, meaning, you know, if we have gravity on our side, uh, no longer is the pain pushing us. Now the vision is actually pulling us, and there's momentum that's built. And rather than, you know, catching up with ourselves, we're really, this is where, you know, uh, this is back to that first uh, story, the metaphor with the agave plant. This is when we really connect with our gifts and we're really serving others. And, you know, I mean, if, if I hadn't, uh, live this myself, I, I, there's no way I could be telling you this. I mean, for years and years and years, I had really low self-esteem and based on my own trauma and bullying as a kid. And, you know, when you're in the midst of that, it, it's tough. And it feels like, God, I'm not sure if I'll ever get out of this. But if you stick with it and, and find mentors and, and address these things in conscious ways, and there's lots of different ways out there, um, it does shift. It does change. And I, I look at myself now, yeah, at 46, and very much engrossed in my vision and my purpose in the world. Um, and I think, my God, you know, I'm so thankful I took that time to, I mean, I had to, to address those wounds, because it's, it's through that that I can really empathize and find compassion for others, help others along the journey, and ultimately say yes to life. So yeah, but that that's a good one. The 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 the, uh, the pain pushes you until the vision pulls you. The notion that I like the saying, "My age is none of my business," and a lot of times as we grow old, especially with the uh, the expectation or whatever from the culture is that the older we get, the more offline we go. And my sense is the soul has no value in shutting down decades before oh, no. we die. And yeah. 
Um, so I'm speaking to to the older generation, but share with us a little bit because I know there's there's men listening to the show that sure. sit there and go, well, I could go to that retreat, but then I'd have to get in touch with my feelings. I could go to that <laughs> retreat, and then I'd have to bump up against my pain. I could yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of break the ice, if you will, about yeah. what that can look like. Sure. Well, I mean, the big question is, for those who have not chosen in yet, uh, the big question I would ask is, how's that working for you? You know, if you're a listener listening to this, and, and really, and, and, and that's where you're at, and I, I respect it. Listen, I've been there. And sure. I know for me, that did not function, and I had lots of problems, <laughs> lots of pain, lots of suffering in my life that I was not okay with at the end of the day. And sure, we can do all those things to numb ourselves out, um, and that's what so many people do. But, you know, gosh, um, go a month, you know, without numbing oneself out and really get clear, how is my life working for me? And if it's not working, um, my goodness, for your own sake, and if not yours, then for future generations of this planet, for the children, find the courage to, to face these things. You know, I, right. I, I'm a big proponent, less of the balance between the nurturing, loving energy, what some might call the feminine, and then the, you know, holding people to task, accountability and structure um, that might be referred to as, as the, the masculine. When people first step into this work and first start, you know, feeling their feelings and sharing that and, um, you know, addressing their pain and asking the big questions, gosh, what is my purpose? The hardest part <laughs> I remember my fir the first mentor I worked with told me this, you know, when I first called him up to sign up for the first workshop, right? Um, he said, Tim, congratulations. You've just completed the hardest step, which is making the choice to reach out and say, hey, I need some support here. And I, that's so true. The hardest part of it is is kind of getting over our own fear, our own anxiety internally, but what happens when you step into that circle or step in and work one-on-one -on -one with that mentor, whether it's me or someone else, um, is you find, you find love. You find support. You find other people with similar experiences that you're going through. And you realize, my God, I'm not alone. And when you first start sharing those things, it's like taking... <laughs> it's like you didn't realize you had a backpack on full of rocks and you've been walking around this whole life with these rocks on your back thinking that that's normal or that's part of your life and it's, it's actually not and you can shed that it's so freeing and so liberating you know um you know is there sometimes pain to feel is there sadness to feel yeah there is you know and, you, and the other side of that is there's great joy and so it's to the extent that we can feel some of those uncomfortable feelings that we can feel the beautiful ones right and if and if we don't then we're kind of stuck in the middle um with a pretty you know what numb or just kind of dulled down life and i've certainly never been able to live a life that way <laughs> yeah, i i live for passion and 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 having a, a life that where i'm fully alive and um you know if if not that what uh, if not if that's not the point of life uh, i'm not sure what is yeah so uh, hopefully those words help help out a bit yeah 
Sure. Well, once you've tasted the fruit of honoring yourself, once you've tasted that, it's hard to it's hard to accept anything else. Well, time can fly gotcha. by pretty fast. I want to I want to make sure you have an opportunity to share with our listeners the programs sure. you have to offer, um, how much time they take, how to engage you, what to expect. Just give us the the, the whole picture of your platform. Well, sure. Thank you, Les. So, yeah, for folks who have who've been listening and, and might be feeling moved by this, um, you know, I, I've, so I, like I said, I have two different um, two different platforms. So if people are on that track of okay, for adults, you know, who are really looking to make a deeper connection with their purpose, with their vision, um, and have that sense that, uh, feel that calling that I was talking about, right? Like, gosh, there's something more. I know I'm capable of something more, but I'm not yet living that. Um, and especially those folks who um, who feel a love for nature, and, and people don't have to even be well-versed in nature, but an openness and, and, and a care for the natural world or an interest or a love. Um, those are some of the people I love working with the most. And if that's if that's the case, then by all means, reach out to me at Purpose Mountain. Um, that's just www.purposemountain.com. And I've got some uh, free resources on there. I've created a whole workbook that's like just kind of a dip your toes in to um, read more about some personal stories and philosophy. And then there's some great exercises in there as well. Um, I do offer one-on-one uh, mentoring, one-on-one coaching, uh, and I have you know a variety of offerings there. But um, people can get involved that way if, if they're interested one-on-one. And I also do group processes. Um, I love facilitating the vision quest. That's a more intensive one for people who are ready to make the big deep dive. Um, those are you know four-day-long traditional uh, vision quests, fasting in nature. Um, with a lot of mentoring support before and after. Um, and then on the other hand, for folks who are interested in just connecting with nature for nature's sake, um, and this includes adults and kids, um, then uh, I would encourage folks to check me out at Twin Eagles Wilderness School, and that is www.twineagles, T-W-I-N-E-A-G-L-E-S dot org. And we have a variety of programs, uh, these are all in-person, year-round, for youth and adults. Um, so all those details are available on the web. But yeah, and uh, and Rites of Passage for boys or girls, check out Twin Eagles. Rites of Passage for men, uh, check me out at, at, at Purpose Mountain. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Tim, uh, our time pretty much up. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've I have very much enjoyed this conversation. Well, it's been just great, and and you're so welcome. And and thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity and really enjoyed this talk with you, Les. We've been talking with Tim Corcoran, and the topic tonight has been nature, purpose, and the human soul. We're really hardwired for what we desire, the the passionate life, the the meaningful life, the purposeful life is is inherent with, and, and we layer 
dogma on top of that. But you can't break your soul. I mean, sure, you can go through really tough stuff, and it can seem like um, like you feel broken, like you feel disconnected, like um, your soul isn't present, perhaps. But in truth, at the core of your being is is infallible. In In other words, no matter what you've done in the past, you can reconstitute yourself. You can come back from anything that has happened. I mean, the history of this planet has countless stories of survival and overcoming struggle that would blow the mind. So don't don't look at your past and say, well, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if, I mean, I've got some serious problems here. You're, you're, the problems you have are never bigger than the core of who you are. So just know that there's always a way, there's always a way for you to uh, reconstitute yourself and to have that, that feeling of wholeness, of wellness, of happiness. Of, of joy. It, it's an inherent part of our human persona. And you've shown up for yourself. You've listened to this episode. I applaud you, the listener, for showing up for yourself. For me, it's, it's a passion of mine to bring you episodes like this. The most powerful substance in our human story is the flipping humans. That's you. That's me. We've had hundreds and hundreds of, of shows talking about awakening the, the human persona, the human potential. There's nothing. We're never, ever stuck, both collectively and individually. I'm your host, Les Jensen. It's always a pleasure spending time with you. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect, and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.